Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Who Is This God? A study of Exodus 34, 6-7. Through this important scripture, we'll learn that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Thanks for joining us. I'm Macy Haywood. Um, this is my brother, Tyler Haywood, and I'm a junior, and he's a sophomore. When I think of God, I think of a relationship and a closeness, like a, a friendship. I mean, especially in my latter years of life, you know, in the past few years, especially with like high school and making big decisions, I feel a closeness with God about, you know, learning different things and making those decisions that can change the trajectory of what you're going to do with your life. When I think about God and what He means to me, I think of somebody that I can always like fall back to, fall back on. I know I've had some back surgeries. I had a spinal fusion and another uh, surgery for my back. And it took a lot because it was pretty, I mean it was top to bottom spinal fusion and it was, I had to put a lot of trust in him and I, I knew he would take care of me. I had nerves, but I knew he would be there and I knew he wouldn't he would let me come out of it the way that he wanted me to. She, she doesn't care what other people think necessarily. She, she takes into account one person's opinion, and that's God's. She doesn't take into account from the outside voice of the world because, I mean, she, she moves in her life focusing on one thing, and that's what, what does God want me to do, not what the world wants me to do. I think the way God has impacted him is... He lives just with a peace of knowing that someone's always going to take care of him. And he doesn't have to worry over who's going to be there. He always knows there's someone in his corner. I think the most influential people in our lives that help us see God are absolutely our parents. We would not be in the kind we wouldn't have the kind of relationship we have with God if we didn't have them always there for us and always are ready to teach us about God answer questions or just relate things that we're struggling with back to how God would see it or things that we are nervous about and that God's there for us it's 100% our parents and I love those videos when we ask people in our church family, what comes to your mind when you think about God? And I know it's probably hard for any of you to believe, but there has to be times when Macy and Tyler make their parents and particularly their mom feel angry. There has to be, right? And so I was sitting next to the window this morning. The sun was finally out. Can I get an amen? And drinking coffee, praying a little bit. And then the thought crossed my mind, you ought to Google the top things that make a mom angry. And so I Googled it and it said, and I need your help on this when it says, stand next to her while she's in bed and she's sleeping and you whisper, mom. <laughs> you stand next to her in bed. It's funny, the top two. You stand next to her in bed while she's sleeping and you continue poking her. You stand at the shoulder, at her shoulder while she's working on the computer and you just wait. 
without saying a word. You ask her if you can play on her computer every two and a half minutes. You whine that you're hungry and then you make mom guess what you want to eat. You pee on the toilet seat and leave it there for mom to find when she uses the bathroom. You wait to do your homework until five minutes before you're supposed to leave for school. You cough in the mixing bowl while mom is making dinner. For an older kid, you share every detail of your video game with them that you just played. And you contend that school is not important and homework does not matter. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, the definition of anger, you can see this on the screen, it's a strong feeling of being upset or annoyed because of something wrong or bad, and it's a feeling that makes someone want to hurt other people or to shout, right? Sometimes moms feel that way. I thought about the things that make me angry. I identify with kids waking me up from naps. What about the dog has to go out while you're in the middle of a movie? Or what about my iPhone, right? I mean, these things, I, when I reviewed this this week, they're so insignificant. But what makes me angry, my iPhone stops working, I don't have wife, access to Wi-Fi at a business. Or I drive somewhere and I don't have good cell connection. I realize there's quite a bit that makes me angry about my phone. I get angry when I go to the store and only one checkout lane is open. And I'm inconvenienced. Is anybody tracking? Right? We get angry when we feel like someone else got something we deserve. We get angry when things don't go our way. We get angry when someone says something that hurts our feelings and we don't agree with. And if I asked you to make your own list right now, I don't believe it would take you very long to write a comprehensive list of what makes you feel angry. We get angry at so many things. And like the definition says, our anger can range from annoyance, that's anger, annoyance to strong displeasure, to resentment and contempt toward another person. We start demeaning them to imaginary conversations that prove we're right, to actual hostility that can lead to violence. And our anger has physical symptoms, right? It's anxiety, panic attacks, heart palpitations, sweating, high blood pressure, and muscle tension. Some of you are starting to feel that way right now. And this is why it's so important to talk about our anger. Because if we all shape God into our own image to varying degrees, if we think God's anger is like our anger, we're mistaken. And in a room this size, some of you here believe God is an angry God. And it has turned you off to faith completely. Or you live with this unhealthy fear that God is always disappointed in you and he is just waiting to get you. Or on the other end of the pendulum, some of you believe that God is like Mr. Rogers with a beard and he accepts everything you do and he never gets angry. Both of those extremes are not biblical and they're not healthy. They're dangerous to our faith. And that's why I'm excited to share this topic with you today. And this has been a hard topic to study for, but I believe if we can get this right, if we can get this right and have a healthy view of God's anger, it can help us know him better 
and it can strengthen our faith and empower us to live with him on mission. So we're in a six-week series called, Who is This God? That's the question we're asking. And if you're following in your notes, the reason we're asking it is because what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's a quote by A.W. Tozer in the early 1900s. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And to help us learn who our God is and what our God is like, we're spending our time in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 34. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. You can open one of those to page 72. And if you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And so just as we're doing every week, we're going to read these verses together. The beginning of that verse is on your notes. So you can read that off of your notes or you can read it off of the screen with us. But let's read our verses together, full voice. And he, Yahweh, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In the first week of this series, we talked about that name that we just read together, Yahweh. It's God's personal name. It means I am, he is. God is the creator God who is eternal and unchanging. And then last week, we learned that God is compassionate and gracious. After God gave his name to Moses, he describes himself as compassionate and gracious. And there's an importance to the order of words given. And we're told that our God feels intense emotion for his children. He feels compassion and grace toward his children, and he acts in kindness toward us. And Steve asked the question, do we see God that way? And do we treat others that way? And this week, we learn that God is slow to anger. And like I said a few minutes ago, I know when I say those words out loud, there are hundreds of different ideas being triggered right now in each of your minds. And that's why this characteristic of God is tricky and complicated because we bring into this conversation some preconceived notions about God's anger. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering for just next 20 minutes, can we set those aside and start with a clean slate and see what the Bible has to say about God's anger? So let's begin by talking about how the Bible defines anger, particularly God's anger. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. We've said that the past two weeks. And if you're following in your notes, in Hebrew, the word for anger is apayim, which means nose. It means nose. And it's a metaphor, and it's based, it makes sense. It's a metaphor that's based on our physical experience of anger. When we get angry, our, our nose flares, our face gets hot. It's like we say they're red in the face. 
but it gets even better than that. If you're following in your notes, slow to anger in Hebrew is Eric Apayim, and it means long of nose or long of nostrils. And I thought this week, this may be the first time you've ever been asked to fill in a message note with the word nostril. So in these verses we're, we're looking at today, the most accurate translation of slow to anger means it takes a long time for God's nose to get hot. Or it takes a long time for God to have a long nose. And when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, the Hebrew scholars translated slow to anger with the Greek word meaning patient. Some of the earliest translations use long-suffering, which I love. And so if you're following in your notes, God is slow to anger, he's patient, and he's long-suffering. God doesn't have a temper. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't have tantrums. He is not impulsive. He is not driven by anger. He's compelled by love. Some of you have this image of an angry God in your mind. And listen, that could come from your family of origin. And anger is what you grew up with. And you attribute the anger of God because that's what you saw from your earthly father. Or perhaps you grew up in a church that was fire and brimstone and the picture of God that you were handed was of an angry God so mad at people that he was about to lose it. And if you're here and your answer to that question that we asked, what comes to mind when you think about God, if your answer is angry, I'm praying today your answer would change. I pray your answer would change. I love what John Mark Comer wrote. He said, you can make God mad, but you really have to try. You really have to try. But let me say this. If we think God never gets angry and he basically just approves of everything we do, nothing bothers him, nothing hurts him. He's just a life coach who says, you do you. That is not who God is. Sometimes we like to think of God that way because it gives us permission to live any way we want and it justifies our sin. There are a number of theologians today who want to try to erase God's anger and his wrath from the Bible, but we just can't do that and be faithful to scripture. And just so you know, those words are usually interchangeable in the Bible, God's anger and his wrath. And scripture speaks of God's anger or wrath more than 600 times. So we can't ignore it. God does get angry, but he's slow to anger. He's patient and long-suffering. But if you're following in your notes, there is a limit to his patience. There's a limit. Yahweh is the creator God of all things. He's perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. And anger is the fitting response to injustice in the world. God is an emotional being. He has emotions and he has feelings and he feels anger over evil in the world. So we're going to ask a couple questions this morning. First question, what makes God angry? If you're following on the screen, wickedness, dishonesty, injustice, and crime, those who do wrong, those who do violence, 
and idolatry. This is why some of God's most intense anger in the Old Testament is towards his covenant people, Israel, who continually worshiped idols rather than having no other God but Yahweh, which is the first of the Ten Commandments. These things make God angry. And I'll say this, you don't want a God who doesn't get angry about these things. I want a God to get angry with the Russians who are killing Ukrainian civilians and burying them in mass graves. I want God to be angry with people who traffic children and women for profit. I want God to be angry that there are over 40 million people held in slavery around the world today. I want God to be angry that nearly 1 million abortions were performed in our country last year. I want God to be angry at the racial division that still exists in our country. I want God to get angry at powerful leaders who oppress other human beings. Sometimes it's good for God to get angry. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, we've shown some of their videos. He says this, you can see this quote on the screen. He says, humans don't take seriously the fact that we are made in the image of God. Rather, we elevate power, wealth, sex, and lots of other things to the status of God. And then in the name of our deified ideals and idols, we create communities and institutions that neglect, marginalize, and even destroy other people made in God's image. And all this fallout and pain caused by human idolatry makes God angry and rightfully so. There are some things that are worth getting angry about. I think we can all get on board with that. If you're following in your notes, God gets angry at injustice and evil in the world. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But maybe let me step on our toes for a few minutes here. God also gets angry, if you're following on the screen, at disobedience at the arrogant and prideful, at lying, at stirring up conflict and ignoring the truth, which describe all of us at some point in our lives. But this is what what we do, right? We want God to get angry about the injustice and the evil in the world, but we don't want God to get angry about our sin that harms us, harms others, harms our relationship with God. But we need to know, if you're following in your notes, God gets angry at the sin of his children. Because our sin separates us from God and contributes to the brokenness of this world. Make no mistake about it. There are sins that are more serious than others in that they do more damage to others or have more severe consequences, but all sin separates us from God and makes God angry. I just don't want us leaving here. The reason I say that is I don't want us leaving here thinking, well, there's some really bad people in the world and it's right for God to get angry with them, but I'm not like them. Compared to them, I'm okay. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter three, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not one. The prophet Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone our own way. Our sin makes God angry, but he is slow to anger, patient and long-suffering. Here's the image. 
on this Mother's Day, he is the parent who watches his children make bad decisions and it breaks his heart. He is compassionate and gracious and he is patient. And if you're a follower of Jesus, think about how patient God was with you to reveal himself to you and how patient he still is with us because we're all gonna sin this side of heaven even after we follow, follow Jesus. We don't lose our salvation. It just affects our relationship with him. Like when we sin against a friend and it affects our relationship with them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, he is patiently waiting for you to want him. He is not waiting for you to mess up so he can zap you and punish you. He is long suffering watching his children who think they, that their way is better than his way. So in review, yes, God gets angry. It's not his baseline emotion. He is slow to anger, patient and long suffering, but he does get angry. So the second question we need to answer, what does God's anger look like? Just talked about what makes him angry. What does his anger look like? And the, the book John Mark Comer wrote, God Has a Name, was incredibly helpful as I studied for today. I'm not sure this originated with him, but he says, if you're following in your notes, God's anger has two tenses, active and passive. Active and passive. God's active anger and wrath is when God acts directly to put a stop to evil. Like it's, it's like the hand of God sweeps down in judgment. And this is when people or even entire nations come under Yahweh's discipline and punishment. Even in the context of our two verses in Exodus 34, they're set against God's active anger and wrath. In chapter 33, while Moses is still on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, his brother Aaron is at the base of the mountain. They start worshiping a golden calf and thanking this idol for bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. And we see the active anger and wrath of God strike the people with a plague. We also see it in the New Testament. When a couple named Ananias and Sapphira lie to Peter about selling property and giving all their money to the poor, Ananias lies and then he drops dead. And then a couple hours later, his wife comes in, same thing. She lies, drops dead. Sin is serious. And we don't take it nearly serious enough sometimes. Sometimes God's wrath takes an active form, but it is not the norm. It's rare. And it doesn't happen very often. I appreciate these words of Comer. You can see this quote on the screen. He says, here's what you need to understand. Stories about God killing people get all the airplay. They're fodder for disenfranchised bloggers who are angry with the God they don't believe in. I get it. But there, there are barely any stories like that in the Bible. Active wrath is the exception to the rule. Most of the time, it's passive wrath. Most of the time when God gets angry, it takes a passive form. And here's what I mean by that. The best words to describe the passive form of God's anger, if you're following in your notes, he handed them over. This is one of the most common ways 
that the Bible expresses God's anger. Passive anger and wrath is when God does not act, and that is the judgment. Let me give you two examples again, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. You can follow along on the screen. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, we're talking about God's covenant people that continually disobeyed him. It says they forsook the Lord. That's the they, God's covenant people. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisk. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. He handed them over. In the New Testament, we go to Romans chapter one, verses 18 to 20, and we read these words. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And if you continue reading in Romans, what you learn about that is this is all humanity who does what they want to do rather than follow the one who created them. And we're told over and over again in Romans chapter one that God gives us over to the sinful desires of our hearts. He gives us over to the sexual impurities we desire. He gives us over to our shameful lusts. He gives us over to a depraved mind that can't distinguish between right and wrong. Again, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says this, the biblical authors want us to see that God's anger is always a response to human betrayal and evil. And it's expressed through handing humans over to the logical consequences of their decision. In other words, God's anger is expressed by giving humans what they want or at least what they've chosen. And if what we've chosen is ruin and death, then that's what we'll get. God's passive anger consists in God allowing us to experience the painful consequences of our sinful decisions. One pastor put it this way. It's us saying to God, leave me alone. And God saying, as you wish. I was gonna give a number of examples here. But I think we can all think of times in our lives when we have experienced God's passive anger as a consequence for our sinful decisions. And let me say this, as God gives us his passive anger and lets us suffer the consequences of our decisions, if you're following your notes, God doesn't find joy in handing us over. He doesn't find joy in this. He's not, he's not sitting on the throne giggling and waiting for us to mess up so he can do this. God is our perfect father and he feels deeply towards his children. It doesn't bring him joy to get to this point. There, there is sadness and disappointment in his anger, but God does not find joy in that. And I actually want to offer a different paradigm. What, what if? What if, if you're following in your notes, God's passive anger is actually his compassion and grace? 
right? What if God's passive anger is his discipline that wakes us up to going our own way and brings us back to him? So what if instead of looking at a situation and saying, God, how could you allow that to happen? We repent of our sin and we actually thank him for his discipline that saved us from getting what we want. Because the real tragedy The real tragedy is when God gives us over to what we want and we don't experience the consequences of our sin, at least not right now. The real tragedy is God handing us over to whatever it is we want more than him. So most of what we see today in this room, in this world, is God's passive anger. People getting what they want, suffering the consequences for that, and it wrecks their lives and often wrecks the lives of those around him. But a time is coming when God's anger and wrath will be future and active. It will act decisively to end evil forever. The biblical writers call this the day of the Lord or the day of Yahweh. There's a time coming where God says, enough is enough. No more violence, No more injustice, no more killing, no more raping, no more enslaving, no more sin. A time is coming when God will say, my nose is hot. And this day is either a bad thing or it's a good thing based on what you believe about Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please lean in because I want you to hear this. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is a great reminder of what we are saved from and saved for. I just want to proclaim this good news over us and read these verses over us. And I'll just say this. This is the most important thing I'll say all day. So if you're going to hear anything, hear this. These are the words of the Apostle Paul written to the church in Rome. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Please pay attention. Paul writes, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All of us have gone our own way. We've all sinned. Our sin separates us from God. And if left unforgiven and unreconciled, we will experience the future active anger and wrath of God. And this is so important. And this is why God is not an angry God. As we read in those verses, if you're following in your notes, God's love is the answer to God's anger. He provides a solution to the problem through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Instead of handing us over, get this, instead of handing us over, he has given us the opportunity to be reconciled. And he wants this for all people 
Second Peter 3, 9, you can see this on the screen. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, slow to anger, long suffering with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So a question I want to ask of everyone here. We just can't move on without asking this question. If you're following in your notes, have I been reconciled to God through Jesus? Have you? Because there is a day coming where the answer to that question will determine everything. Have you been reconciled to Jesus? Now, I debated this week ending right there because that is the best news I can share with you and it's the most important question I can ask you. But I think there's another application we need to talk about for just a couple minutes, especially in our cultural moment. We've talked a lot about this. Followers of Jesus, our goal is to become more like Jesus in the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we get angry. So if you're following in your notes, living the way of Jesus includes how we handle our anger. Notice I didn't say don't get angry. Anger isn't necessarily a sin. Ephesians 4, chapter 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Even James, Jesus' brother, would write in the book named after him. Would you read this with me in the second gray box? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So the Bible says we will get angry. Anger is not a sin, but how we handle it can lead to sin. And I know I don't consider this all the time. And I think sometimes we don't consider anger a barometer of how we follow Jesus. But a follower of Jesus gives themselves fully to him, and that includes our anger. So as you are thinking about this, as we evaluate our anger, does our anger look like God's? Does it take a long time for our nose to get hot? Do we get angry over the right things? Do we get angry over injustice, evil, and sin? Or do we get angry because we're inconvenienced? at people or situations? Are we slow to anger or do we flip our lid? Are we patient or do we fly off the handle? Is our anger redemptive? It wants to build a bridge or is it vindictive and we want to get people back? If you notice that you don't handle anger the way God handles anger, which is all of us in this room, then I want to offer you what I've learned from personal experience. If you're following in your notes, don't try harder. Ask God to help you with your anger. Ask God, listen, you may want to talk to a friend or a counselor to process what makes you angry, but inevitably the only way we can fight anger and handle it properly is through the help of the Holy Spirit. It's a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit who brings about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What if when we felt our nose getting hot, we all stopped and prayed? That's a practice 
we could benefit from. Rather, what, what I do, the, the, the thing that kept going through my mind all week, um, there was an episode of Seinfeld. If you're younger in this room, there used to be a sitcom uh, named Seinfeld. It was about nothing, but it was very funny. And there was a character in there named George Costanza, and his, fr- his dad's name was Frank. Frank was having high blood pressure issues, so he went to his doctor, and he said, I need some help. And the doctor gave him a self-help relaxation tape that told him to say serenity now every time he got angry. So as the show goes on, he started walking around screaming serenity now. And it didn't help him with his anger. It's not trying harder. It is asking God to change us from the inside out. And this is important as a follower of Jesus and as we become more like him. And it's important, and this is why I wanted to talk about this and finish with this. If you're following in your notes, how we handle our anger is a witness to a watching world. And as a parent, let me add how we handle our anger as a witness to watching children. Our role as followers of Jesus is to image him to other people. And as we become more like Jesus, we should be known for our love, our compassion, and our graciousness rather than our anger. And I just don't, I don't know if you've noticed this or if this is the first time you're hearing this this morning, but we live in an angry world. It is filled with vitriol and anger. And we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to stand out from the culture around us simply by how we handle our anger. We have the opportunity to image God to others by being slow to anger, just like our God is. So we always want to provide a bit of space for you, a time of response to God's word, we, because we believe God is always at work and we believe he speaks to us even more than we think. And we know when you leave this room today, life gets busy. So we want to build in some time and I invite you to consider just a, a couple things this morning. In this moment, in the, in the next minute and a half, two minutes, Do you want to be reconciled to God? Do you need to be reconciled to God through Jesus so that you do not experience his future active anger and wrath? This is the moment to do that. You admit you're a sinner. You tell God you believe in his son and that it is only through trusting in him that your sins are forgiven and you are made right with God. Do not let this moment pass. This is the time to do that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you need to talk to God about your anger. What is it that makes you angry? Tell him, name that, and ask him to help you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can become more like Jesus. Don't try harder. Ask him to help you and change you. So what is it you need to talk to God about? We're gonna invite you take the next minute or two and talk with him. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.